in today's economic climate, you want to get away from just holding on to dollars or even holding on to gold because gold doesn't earn money, right? Water on demand is investment in actual capital assets that earn income. But think about it. If you can get a tangible asset and make royalty money from your tangible asset, then it's the best of all worlds. Lots of assets out there. A lot of people know they need to invest in assets. So therefore, assets are skyrocketing in value. Crude oil, precious metals, commodities of all kinds, lumber, you name it. Water has only begun. It's the beginning of the run for water. Here we go. Water. Now, we've changed our slogan a bit, if you've noticed. Water, the blue gold. Why is that? Well, it turns out that water is the new gold is actually a registered trademark. Plus, we like this. It's a bit more interesting, water, the blue gold. So it's uh, November 10th and uh, briefing number 186, water like an oil well is the emerging income asset. All right. Of course, the usual safe harbor statement and the disclaimer on our accredited investor investments. We're very excited that the Regulation A offering is coming and we'll soon have to have that disclaimer up, which is so cool. So with that, we're going to keep on rocking. Um, Tom Liakos, good evening, and uh, it's a pleasure. All right, so I'm going to do another quick clip here. Philanthropic Investors is the group that gives us international reach. They're wonderful, and they have a group of ambassadors all over the world, and I got a chance to present to their ambassador team. Let's take a look how it went. It is, of course, my great pleasure to introduce the CEO of Origin Clear, Riggs Eckleberry. I've known him for quite a while. We have a lot of portfolios that we work with, but this one keeps just keeps moving, keeps growing. Riggs is going to give us a little briefing overview from the ambassador viewpoint, very different than from an investor viewpoint per se. I just really wanted to um, address Origin Clear from two points of view. One is the idealistic point of view, because you want to do something about the water. And um, there's a specific problem in America and elsewhere with bad infrastructure. And the bad infrastructure is not getting better. In America, it's getting worse by $75 billion a year right now. For some reason, uh, people aren't demonstrating in the streets about water, so therefore water doesn't become a cause and it gets neglected. We have naturally a solution has been emerging, which is let the people who make the water dirty clean the water. So that's called decentralized water. And it's very good because the, it's, a, it's a good deal for the businesses. Let's say you're a brewery and you're growing and, and the local uh, municipality can't take your water anymore. You get your own treatment system and you can even recycle it, you know, which nobody else does. So it's a really great deal for businesses. But even more important is the um, unburdening of the central municipality. Why? Industry and agriculture takes 89% of all water demand. In America, about equal. It varies according to countries, but it's, in America, it's roughly equal. So imagine taking 89% of the load away. Now you only have 11%. And there's many, many people who believe very strongly that water is a human right. Well, it's a human right, except that the corporations are are just sitting on top of it. Um, and there's no good reason for it. They, they could just as happily exist treating the water themselves. Now, what are the barriers to this? The first barrier actually is not the water industry. The water industry is delighted to let uh, businesses do their own treatment. It is uh, two parts. One is simply the technology. You know, do you have systems small enough to go into a business? And the second part is money. So we solved the first part starting in 2018. We started developing a product line called Modular Water Systems. A brilliant engineer called Dan Early has uh, numerous patents around this. And it's basically a water system in a box that you can take on a semi-trailer, drop in that brewery, put it in the corner, and it's done. So that sort of modular approach was very necessary if we wanted to go smaller. Now, in uh, early 2020, COVID hit, and it caused all of us to look at our business model. And one thing we realized was 
Now that it's no longer the water industry investing in water through municipal bonds, through corporate funding, no, now it's small businesses and they don't necessarily have a million dollars to treat the water. And we realized it's the, it's the money, stupid. So if we can make it so all they have to do is sign a piece of paper and the system magically shows up in their location with full maintenance, then it's an easy decision for them. And that became what we call water on demand. And it's basically water as a service. For the user, it's the same as if he was getting uh, water treatment by the city on the meter, but he's paying us instead. Now, this is not new. There are, there are a number of players in this water as a service space. Morgan Stanley Infrastructure Partners is a big player. A uh, bunch of VC firms are in it. There's a um, very, very good st uh, startup called Cambrian that is VC funded. But we are unique because just like petroleum partnerships or solar partnerships, we take money directly from people. So regular people can invest for the first time in a physical water system. And that's very exciting. People love it because they have not been able to. So as the monopoly of water is broken up, it creates markets. Look what happened when AT&T was broken up. AT&T still exists, but the market has grown dramatically. You could even say the internet came out of that breakup. So whenever monopolies are broken up, there's extraordinary opportunities for income. And we're seeing that in water right now. So it's a new asset. Now, here's a very interesting thing about this. Right now in the world, we are in very tough economic times and getting worse. A lot of people are stuck. You know, they're stuck in real estate investments that are not doing great or whatever. So what do they do? Well, the problem is, is that all these assets out there, real estate, energy, um, even precious metals, are geopolitically influenced. There's all kinds of politics. And they go up and they go down for no good reason. And so it's a very tough environment. But water is brand new. It's a new asset. It's the, this, the demand for water is not going to go down. You can't say, okay, now we're going to treat less water. Not going to happen. As a result, a founding investment in water on demand will easily rescue someone's regular portfolio. And we have a, power, uh, we have a spreadsheet that shows this because in addition to the normal royalties for the rental of these units that happens continuously, we're treating people with a wonderful founder's package because it's early. And instantaneously, they get a, a profit on their investment by the nature of the, of the investment. And so literally, we are, we are doing something called the, the portfolio challenge, where people, we're creating a web calculator where people can anonymously put in what they invest, the different investments, and then they, they plug in water on demand and, whoa, okay, now I'm okay. Now my spouse is not gonna make me sleep in the couch. So um, that is, uh, we think, a very effective way to deal with the fact that more and more people are going to be pulling back on investment. You know, we want to move them out of the fear mode and see water on demand as a fresh way to do well and also um, do good, both. And I think that's where we cut it, we, we connect with philanthropic investors, the whole idea of doing you know, well by doing good is very much in sync with what philanthropic investors operates on. I want to mention something too, that the equity factor, or better yet, the justice uh, factor is so strong, I think, especially in these days. Riggs said, well, we think that the people who dirty the water should clean the water. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, when, when a business, again, a brewery, let's take that, is connected up to the municipality, we're paying. We're paying as part of our taxes. So we're paying to help clean his or her water. When in fact, we didn't dirty the water, et cetera, et cetera. We say, well, yeah, but your taxes are paying for the water you get, what, in my tap? I'm drinking that water? No, I don't think so. So it, it by by the independence by the decentralization uh they are paying for it 
they get better service. It allows for the city to put their money, if they would, into uh, um, uh, other areas uh, uh, that would be more more valuable to these these people who are paying for the the water and the brewery and have no exchange for it. So it's got that factor to it. Can you say a few more, a few words about that, Briggs, from a social uh, impact viewpoint? Something struck me the other day when I I watched a news report. In Ireland, the water is free. In other words, individuals, I'm not talking about businesses, but people don't have to pay for their water on the meter. And a lot of people feel that way in America. I get a lot of uh, mail like, well, water is a human right. What's this about privatizing water, blah, blah, blah. And so what we're doing is actually enabling that by dramatically reducing the burden on the central water districts. Now, remember, if it was just us doing it, it would take a long time. This is actually a mega trend. It's actually already happening. There is uh, growth, our own business, uh, our regular uh, construction business that we have already that that is just, you know, uh, we bid for a job and we build it. Um, you know, it's tripled this year. And it's because there's a dramatic move toward self-treatment, right? It's a tremendous amount of on-site treatment happening. So it's important to underline, this is a trend and it's happening more and more. If we can push power to it and make it happen faster, by making taking the friction points out the two friction points technology you know uh, expertise and finance we take those two out and we go you're you know you 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 want to do this yeah well here you go sign here i pay a water bill if the water's no good i still have to pay but in water on demand the water is treated to a particular standard as part of the contract we we, we do the, all the operations and maintenance so it's a way to dramatically speed it up it's also a way to, to create this new asset class. Now, Master Limited Partnerships were invented in 1981 by Apache Corporation. And it's basically a basket of, of energy properties, pipelines, natural gas, oil. And they're a basket, and, and, um, and they return X amount on sort of uh, long-term royalties. That has grown into a $300 billion market with 65 MLPs. And... You or I can invest in it. It's, it's a sophisticated investment, but nothing stops you or me from investing in an MLP. And a very similar situation with solar pools. People can also they, they invest in these, these uh, aggregated. And REITs you know, are, are very similar. Real estate investment trusts are a similar concept. So we're just applying these, these winning concepts to water. And for the first time, you can have a water investment trust, which is super cool, right? A minimum of 50% of the money they invest is reserved for investing in water systems and water operations, et cetera. So that provides, it's not just an investment in a penny stock, it's, it's actually an asset investment, and that's very, very important. And the entirety of the investment is on a security agreement. So it's not like most of these startup-type investments because it is an asset. So I hope that that addresses it. Yes, there's a social justice aspect to it. We're going to do good things for the quality of water by not by building up the big central systems, but by reducing the load on them and create this new asset class that anybody can invest in. And finally, bring this cool water in a box technology, modular water systems into distribution all over America and eventually the world. Again, uh, Riggs has mentioned the word asset. Uh, that's another factor that is of of certainly a value that uh, your investors and those that invest uh, have own a, a piece of the equipment that we're leasing out. The equipment is not sold to that company. They're paying water on demand, basically, uh, you know, just like you would for your cell phone. Uh, well, if they don't pay, something goes wrong, something happens. We take the modular system and we pack up our belongings and we leave the value of that equipment is still growing. I want to say one other thing about the value of the equipment too. It's very innovative in the approach that that Dan Early and others there have done in creating systems that are modular. Modular water is these uh, relatively small systems that can be deployed rapidly. They're in a housing and they're fully self-contained. It's very elegant. 
In fact, most of the jobs that we bid on, we are actually the mandated design. So others cannot compete because our proprietary design has been mandated by the consulting engineer on the client side. Modular Waters is taking off. Recently, we had a single month of modular water revenue um, was, or sales rather, was um, the same as an entire year 2021. So they're growing extremely fast. One of the decisions we made was, you know, it's much easier to raise money than to build stuff. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can raise all the money you want. It takes time to build things, whether it's real estate, cars, or water systems. So we made a decision that we would not try to build every one of these water systems, but that we would uh, name partners out there in the industry who would do the installation and maintenance for us. And we have one such partnership in place. We are about to launch a mergers and acquisitions drive. We've done it before and now we're gonna do it again to uh, acquire companies that will do this field work for us because that's, that's you know, why leave that money on the table? And so um, you'll be seeing that happen as well. So that's gonna do wonderful things for our fundamentals. The whole concept is how do we clean the greatest amount of water? And that's why these outside contracting and or acquiring of these companies allow Riggs and his team to be innovative and do it with it with it, what they're doing without attention to the nuts and bolts of the daily maintenance, repair, all of that, uh, that is often required when you're dealing with machinery. We have a growing business working, again, at the industrial level. We do not work at the single family home level because that's a, that's a commodity business. It's very mass marketing. There's some very good players in it already. So we're not trying to treat the incoming water in a home, and we're not trying to treat the effluent, the black water, as we call it, from that home. But we will do a housing development. That's a very good market for us. And we're already talking, uh, excuse me, through Ivan, in fact, he's got a couple of projects going where people can develop a piece of land off the sewage grid, saving tons of money because the land itself is so much cheaper. And then you don't have to pay the $2 million to connect it. Just putting in a closed circuit black water treatment system for the entire housing development. And because they don't have to pay the capital, the homeowners association can pay the bill ongoing. So pass it on to the, to the HOA. Developers love that kind of stuff. At present, the, the water that comes out of the equipment isn't, you know, a drinkable or whatever. So what, on what scale is that water cleanliness at present? Sure. Well, Robert, first of all, we can treat water all the way to ultra pure, not a problem. It's really a financial decision. Most uh, businesses are, they're, they're treating the water that the, the effluent, for example, the effluent from a brewery, there's a lot of it, but it's relatively benign, it's organic. They're treating it to the level that the city requires to, to take it as quote unquote treated water. Now, if they decide to reuse it, they might take it up to the level of irrigation quality, for example. In a brewery, you can reuse about 50% of the water for non-beer making, in other words, not to make actual beer, but to washdowns and steam vessels and so forth. You just need to meet those levels of minerals so you don't you know, calcify the systems or whatever. Again, we can dial in the requirement exactly. There's really three major phases to what we do. The first phase is the incoming water, which can be um, uh, from the city or from a well, and different things have to be done to treat it different ways. Then there is the wastewater treatment itself. And finally, there is water reuse where it's being reused for irrigation. In other words, we're, we're getting another turn. Here's what's interesting. America does a terrible job of recycling water, and yet we're running out of water at the same time. This is ridiculous. Uh, Israel, which is, has a more modern infrastructure, has almost 90% recycling of their water. You know who, who number two is? Number two is Spain, actually, with 20%. We do 1%. And that's because our, our water systems are old. Like if you look at New York's amazing, uh, it's called the Delaware water system. It comes down through the entire state and it goes beautiful water out of the tap, but then it goes into the Atlantic Ocean and uh, it doesn't go back up. It's, it's not set up that way. 
So, but if you're treating right where you are, you can reuse right where you are. And so water, as it becomes more expensive, it's more and more worth, hey, I paid for this water already. I'm going to use it again and again and again until finally it just doesn't make sense anymore. But several rotations of the water are completely doable. Water is the one thing that's inflating much more than even energy is. It's ridiculous. Water rates are skyrocketing much higher than inflation. As water rates increase, businesses are charged two things. They're charged for the incoming water. But they're also charged sewage. They, they pay sewage fees. Both those things are rising fast. Uh, and the people who are adopting their own water treatment are the people who are being charged very expensively by the local water district. So what is the value prop uh, if a company is, you know, paying for incoming clean water and sewage going out, what what percent of that cost can they save by having water on demand? Okay, so typically it's easy for them to keep get, getting fresh water from the city. That's usually a decision. It's rare that unless they're agricultural, they'll just get their water from the city. But they can save 100% of their sewage charges because when you send treated water to the city, that's fine. It's just water. It really starts paying off. Number one, we can make the system pay for itself just on the sewage charges not being charged, but it starts really paying for itself when we get into uh, reuse. More than one turn, because now you didn't pay for the incoming water and you're still not paying for the sewage. So you get a double bang out of it at that point. Once, once the water's in your hands, you can use it again and again. And that's, that's where it starts to make sense. You guys are a great group. And I'm, I'm so excited that, about what Philanthropists is doing, you know, creating the, the champions for this. Um, it's a growing thing. I think it's going to become a movement. These things always start like people go, huh, what, water? How does, what? And then they figure it out. They go, oh, wow. Um, literally, people, when they talk to Ken Berenger, they thank him for the opportunity. They go, oh, my God, this is super cool. Because it's good for the world. You know, 6,000 kids a day die from water diseases. It's really scandalous. So, in fact, I think it's like a one Vietnam War per year or something like that of people dying from water. It's just very stupid. And so doing something about the water situation and doing well seems smart to me. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Riggs. Thank, thank you. you. Nice to meet you. Do you all well, ladies and gentlemen. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Central water systems, how are we doing with that? Well, it turns out that in uh, Honolulu, there has been a problem with these Navy families because there was a fuel leak. Now, fuel leaks happen, water systems get contaminated, but nothing much has been done. These people have been, this same thing happened in Flint. People just constantly were, were being... Um, just ignored and nothing done, nothing done. And, and meanwhile, people's health is being impacted. This is the problem with central water systems. And on top of it, numerous impacted families had to spend thousands. And guess what? Uh, the Defense Department program got no program for that. Now we can't help you. I hear you. <laughs> it's just like the worst. So, um, you know, this, this is just a bad state of affairs with our central water systems because usually they're fine, but when they break, as now, you know, it happened in, in Flint, it happened in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, it happened in Compton, now it happened in Honolulu. When these things happen, unfortunately, it just goes on and on without being handled. It's terrible. And here's the other amazing thing. The Navy is cleaning all this water that was contaminated and cleaning it completely to the, to the level of, you know, complete pure. And then they dump it in this uh, stream where actually it could be used. And while residents are being told to reduce their water usage, another typical waste. So it's a fascinating situation. And I really think that we can do better, really, without impacting the central bureaucracy. Okay, we've had a lot of news lately. I'm going to quickly rip through it. And uh, first of all, there is real estate sector getting into preparing for upcoming water shortages, etc. And sure enough, it talks about off-grid housing developments that are in the planning stages, um, working with Ivan Ans, who you just heard about from Philanthropic Investors. And these off-grid solutions are now being published in a real estate publication, which is great. San Francisco passed a law requiring every new building over 100,000 square feet to have their own water recycling system. So these things are happening. And 
basically the story is that it's a smart hedge against upcoming shortages and increasing water rates. In the automotive industry, we have uh, a story about this dealership going offline, buying land that was super cheap and getting its own water, its own water treatment, shall we say. And uh, sure enough, it was it's called a zero liquid dis- discharge black water recycling system and uh, moving towards closed loop water systems, et cetera. And this is where, again, industry can be moving into a more responsible situation. And sure enough, the whole idea of being able to turn capital expense into operating expense is very powerful. Then we have Finance Digest with importance of transparency and connections of business. And sure enough, here we talk about this, this very briefing that occurs. And I'm kind of giving advice here on how you can be transparent. And what it really says, and you know this, is that if I have to fill an hour each week, um, you know, it... <laughs> It's very hard to not say everything because, you know, you run out of things to say. So we actually, uh, you know, the audience knows very well that we respond to all comments made in the meeting chat. So um, including people telling me that I've got the mic in the wrong direction. Uh, and then here's LifeWire, which is 22.1 million readers per month, not 22.1 readers. Um, and they talk about a new technology to clean up water in the world. And these are these um, dangerous substances known as PFAS. What is PFAS? Burn. (laughs) This mouthful. Anyway, it's a group of chemicals that are very similar to, for example, Teflon. Teflon is a PFAS. Per and polyfluorinated substances. Anyway, um, so it talks about that. And sure enough, we are quoted here, right there with Charity Water, what we have to do about things like arsenic and these forever chemicals. So that's super cool. All right. Now, I wanted to comment a little bit on what's happening in markets. What the heck is going on in markets? First, it was crashing. Now, of course, here's um, from our, we have a service company called SRAX. Um, they, 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 um, they, do, um, they support us with our shareholder base, communications to our shareholder base. And turns out that the... Um, First of all, CPI misses. In other words, the core um, inflation actually has is down, weirdly enough. And so futures surged. And in fact, it was one of the best days since 2020. Bulls are rejoicing, et cetera, et cetera. But notice that the trend since December has been a steady down, right? I mean, it's all very well that it's on its way up. And I'm happy that my uh, my wife's 401k is doing okay. But nonetheless... I would not bet on the S&P is all I can say. Um, now, special situations can do very well. For example, I'm in, um, I'm in oil exploration, small investment in oil exploration, and I think it'll do fine. Why? Because it turns out that, well, I'm not going to get into the geopolitics of it. You know it as well as I do. Okay. Now, uh, we had an announcement, which I'm going to get into briefly, about exploring a SPAC merger. What the heck is a SPAC? Well, SPAC is a special purpose acquisition corporation that is already on the NASDAQ. And it turns out there's way too many SPACs in the world. And we believe that we could fit one of these very well. Um, And we caution that a specific SPAC has not been identified definitively. Terms are unknown, no assurance any transaction may occur. And at this point, this is all I can say. (laughs) I'm very sorry, but that's the rules. Um, I'm very, very limited in terms of what I can say. So I I can only replay exactly what was released already. Sad, but true. All right. Um, Quick video from the floor at Progressive Water Treatment. This, you know, we don't have enough of this stuff where we show what's going on on the on the floor. Let's take a look. All right. I'm going to talk today about this uh, city water boost pump skid. It takes city water, increases the pressure, feeds it through an ultraviolet light, and then onto a carbon filter, and ultimately into an RO system. Without this unit boosting the pressure, the city pressure would not be sufficient to drive the water through the process that needs to go through. It's made on a stainless steel frame. It has stainless steel enclosures for electrical. Every piece of piping on here will be stainless steel as well. It is going to a bottled water company up in the Midwest. And the flow rate on this is 400 gallons per minute. 
Good afternoon. My name is John from Progressive Water Treatment, and this video is going to be a short video to uh, show you guys where we're at with your project and your equipment skids. Behind me, uh, this is UF skid number five. Pretty much everything on this skid is complete mechanically. We are waiting on a few components. We're waiting on some solenoids for the pneumatic valves. Those solenoids will be here on Monday. We've got flow instrumentation installed. We've got process piping installed, termination panels installed. We've got some wiring you're getting ready to get started on. Turbidity instrumentation is installed. Uh, this skid, we are targeting a pressure test for Friday, this Friday, which is the 11th. This skid right here is UF skid number one. Pretty much the same. We're waiting on some solenoids for the actuated valves. This skid will have the main control panel with the PLC installed. We started working and fabricating the PLC panel this morning. This is UF skid number five. UF skid number three in this area right here. And then this is UF skid number four. I know that the audio wasn't great, but, um, you know, it was a working uh, situation. Okay, so the final video that I wanted to show you. This week, I was on the Kelly Cardenas show. Kelly Cardenas has, is in the top 1% of all podcasts. All podcasts. And... Um, and it was a long podcast, an hour and 45 minutes, but it was very, very um, productive. And as a result, we decided to just do little chunks each week uh, just to give you a flavor of what was going on. It was really, really powerful. And um, you can actually um, watch it one of these days. It's on YouTube right now on the, on the, on KellyCardenas.com. Um, but let me just go ahead and play this for you and you'll get a sense of it. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. Um, I'm just, I'm so excited today because it's right in line with exactly what we were talking about. This man I met through a friend and the friend that I have named Ivan has probably one of the largest hearts that I've ever met in my entire life. We became fast friends right away. And uh, he let me know about uh, about Riggs and he and that Riggs is doing something that's absolutely changing the world. And not only changing the world through the, the actual tasks and the things that they're doing within their company, but the way in which they're going about it. And the way that, that Ivan connected was because of the heart of the man, not because of just what he was doing. And that's what the, uh, for everyone that's been rocking with the podcast, since the very beginning or if you've just started listening we are about chronicling amazing people who happen to do amazing things and this is probably one of the greatest examples of it in in addition to that he's absolutely changing the world and helping people to realize that there's one thing that's been under our nose the whole entire time that all of us need to be locked into and investing in which is water so please welcome to the show the Founder and CEO of Origin Clear, Mr. Riggs Eckleberry, and I said it right. Welcome to the show, my brother. Well done, Kelly, and thank you. It's such a pleasure. Well, let's let's jump right into that. I mean, some people think that I mean water. You you compared water to oil and gas, and most people are like, ah, I, how how are we going to make that connection point? How are you able to make that connection point and help people to realize how important? water is in our community well kelly of course you realize that for the, for the longest time water has been a monopoly meaning that it's been handled by you know the water districts the the utilities um and it's been very um we assume it's fine you know the water we open the faucet the water comes out we flush the toilet water goes away and we assume things are fine we hear about you know oh flint and jackson mississippi compton but these are just you know little they they, they come and they go right and and Nobody worries too much about it. The truth is, is that these uh, emergencies actually are signals of a much deeper problem in water. Uh, and that's the simple fact that for reasons that I'm not entirely sure, water does not get the funding it should get. And so we have a big problem with that monopoly in that it's underfunded by the 
literally the water infrastructure in our country falls behind currently by $75 billion a year, and it's not being caught up. How could we ever catch up on that? If it, I mean, if I was losing $75 a year, I can understand. I mean, if, you're, if your family's losing $75, you're going to be in debt, I mean, pretty quick. If you're losing $750,000, <laughs> you, you, I mean, unless you're rigs, you might as well mail it in. But $75 billion a year, how, how can we recover this and where is the opportunity in, in, in the water space? Right. So here, here's the issue. First of all, let's recognize that 89% of the demand on the water systems is from industry and agriculture, not the people. When you hear about the droughts in California and the need to have short showers and so forth, that's only affecting 11% of the usage. The 89% is what really matters. Now, those roughly 9 out of 10 um, usage is really uh, impacting the water districts, and they're, not, they're just not set up for it. So that's a clue to the solution. The second part of it is that even if you had the money, where would you put these sewage plants, right? There's all this NIMBY problems. There's no room. These are big systems. If they're not built now, they're not going to be built. And thirdly is the amount of time it's going to take. Uh, give you an example. Miami-Dade County has over 100,000 uh, septic tanks all over the county because they developed without a proper uh, urban plan. And now those septic tanks are infecting the groundwater and making all, all kinds of terrible things happen. So they say, okay, we're going to build sewage uh, lines out to all of these at a cost of $6 billion, which we don't have. Well, first of all, it's not going to cost $6 billion. It'll cost sixteen, And it'll take 20 years of streets being torn up and so forth. That leads you to the solution, which is why not just do a rebate program for these individual sites to become self-sufficient for water treatment, and you've solved the problem in, in a matter of months. And that is the dream and the reality of decentralized water. So help me with this, Riggs, because, I mean, now, when I say this is going to be a broad statement, and some people are going to be like, well, but you're truly living, in my head, the American dream. The reason why I say it is because you were doing something at a very high level, and you've been very, very successful in, in, in past careers. And then you found something that your heart was completely locked into. Talk to us about that jump, right? Because there you were in different industries before you started in this. And this is something that obviously is going to be beneficial financially but the first part of it is that you are actually solving a problem that you're seeing and that your heart is in can you talk about that well actually i went into this space kicking and screaming and the reason is that first of all i loved high tech um i from starting in the 80s onward i just i loved the speed of high tech i loved when the dot-com came along i was like yeah uh had some great liquidities you know where you you jump into a company, five months later, you just get sold, like, thank you very much, that kind of stuff. And so you get spoiled, really, by the speed at which these things move. Um, early 2000s, I was in a company that I helped take public. I was the number two. Uh, got it onto the NASDAQ. But in the process, I was dissatisfied with the, the bones of the company. I felt that it was not going to succeed long term. And sure enough, it did not. And I decided, you know what? I need to become a CEO myself to be kind of to determine my own fate. And that's when I called up a fund and these good friends of mine, now they're, they, they were friends, now they're great friends. I said, you know, I want to be a CEO. And they said, uh, yeah, we think you can be, but we're not doing tech anymore. We're doing green. This is 2006. So green was like all the rage. Um, you know, only later did we, did we ask people, did you ever make money in green? No, never made money in green. But nonetheless, it was the thing. And, um, and they said, we think there's a future in algae for biofuels. And why? Because petroleum is only al is fossilized algae. That's what it is, right? So it's not dinosaurs. There were not enough dinosaurs to make all the oil in the world. It's these giant deposits of algae that grew, you know, we had at one time 30% CO2 in the world and the algae grew to suck that up and we ended up at 0.001, whatever it was. And that made this planet livable. Now, that algae, of course, now is fossilized and it's being burnt and of course we got this big CO2 problem. They felt, and this is true, that if you make um, 
petroleum today from algae that you grow, then it's a it's a balance. You you don't you don't have carbon penalty. It's a carbon. It's it's you, 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 it gives you out as much. You know, in other words, it absorbs as much carbon as it uses. So it's carbon neutral. And so you've got a new fuel that can replace fossil fuels. Because look at it this way. What have we got right now? We have cars with engines. So the natural thing is to do something that's plug compatible with the existing systems. And that was the dream at the time. Well, I tell you, I had a lot of fun with that because we called ourselves origin oil at the time, the original oil, algae being the original oil. And I was on all, you know, um, you know, Varney on Fox called me, I'll call you algae man, you know, all that. It was so much fun. And then the oil industry discovered fracking. And the price of oil went from $120 a barrel. And remember, this is early in the 2000s, down to as low as $35. And all of a sudden, algae became, I like to say, a science experiment. And I had a public company, like, okay, there's no option of running a science experiment. That's not going to work. Ultimately, uh, and there's a long story, but basically we took our technology for pulling algae out of the water, algae harvesting, that was our specialty, into pulling the sewage out of the water, and that became our, our play. We ended up in the water industry. And that was a cold shock because the water industry, first of all, nobody notices it. It's not sexy. I was at, I remember visiting Fast Company in New York, and I'm talking about water and sewage, and she's like, <laughs> oh, God, kill me now. You know, uh, she was like, Dude, okay, I don't get it. I just don't get it. So everybody thinks water is important, but they don't want to be, they don't want to know about the details of sewage. It's not just not part of your, your excitement. You, you get more, more excited about making sourdough. So uh, what I had to do was, first of all, um, figure out how to get visibility for the company, because that's my number one job is to get a company that, that, that really resonates and, you know, has a mission that excites people and so forth. But underlying that is what is the genuine problem in the water industry? And it's the fact that it's kind of like frozen in amber, like ching, there it is. And everything's fine, no problem, except it's not doing its job. Um, in the world, 80% of all the sewage is not treated at all, um, which means it all goes into the rivers or oceans, groundwater. It's just horrible, right? Now, in the US, it's not as bad, but still, we have a problem. And uh, I just saw the lower Hackensack River in New Jersey was declared a one of you know, America's most polluted rivers again. Um, and so we have more than 100 rivers that are terribly polluted in America. And this is 2022. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous, right? So we have a lot of disconnect between people think things are fine and they're not. So the next question is what to do about it. And I've spent years getting there. And I'm glad to tell you that we figured something out. So Riggs, help me with this, because I think a lot of times when, when we speak on a global part, then there'll be the people who are like, well, it doesn't affect my region. When we speak on a regional part, people say, well, it doesn't affect me locally. Then if we talk on a local sense, they're like, nah, it doesn't affect my family. Then if we talk about family, they're like, nah, it doesn't really hit me personally. Can you, can you take us down that rabbit hole to help us to understand what don't, let's start off with the, with the, uh, the, the, the globally part. What don't we understand? Like as a, as a, as a person, cause again, I mean, I find it's, it's November 8th. People are voting today and yes. a lot of people are like, nah, I mean, I live in X and you know, my vote doesn't really count. It's not good. And I find that we as Americans, a lot of times take on that thought process. What yes. don't we, let's start it off. What don't we know globally? Take a lot for granted. First of all, globally, you know, six, the 6,000 kids die every single day in the world from water, right? Over a billion people suffer from um, water-related illnesses, mainly diarrhea. Um, it's just, that, that's, that's a terrible stat. That's, there's only 8 billion people in the world, and <laughs> a significant number of them at any given moment are getting water poisoning, so that's not good. But there's, there's bigger problems. For example, um, we have uh, a lot of industrial products in the water. Um, in America, we, I like to say that the water, the tap water won't kill you right away, meaning that it's not, it 
it's not going to give you typhus or whatever, but it does have a lot of chemicals in it. And the laws are way out of date. So looking at a global level, first of all, most of the world, when you think about the third world, it doesn't have sewage systems at all. I mean, nothing. Um, in India, you have you know, 10, 20,000 people a year die just who are try from sewage gases. They're literally trying to dig out the sewage from the pipes. It's just horrendous. So they, there's a problem. It's very similar. Think about uh, when Africa wasn't, didn't yet have phone systems. And the challenge was, well, we're going to put landlines all over Africa. Well, it never happened. We went straight to cell phone. Uh, similar thing here. We, don't, we lack the infrastructure that we built in America, built in Europe, um, but it doesn't exist in the rest of the world. So the solution is to, for the rest of the world to adopt a much more um, distributed model, very similar to the cell phone idea. And guess what? America also needs it because in the 100 years since we've built our infrastructure, it's fallen apart. And now we need to go ahead and adopt the same solution, which in fact we're doing with, the, again, communications, where Africa got way ahead in terms of cell phone, and today America is catching up with, uh, landlines are almost gone. I mean, I challenge anyone to have a much of a landline anymore. And, uh, you know, the plain old telephone system really runs on the internet anyway. So my daughter is going to argue with you on that one because she watches Stranger Things and all she wants is a phone that's plugged into the wall. My daughter's 13 years old and she's like, that's what I want, Dad. I'm, I'm so excited to show her this and show her Uncle Riggs told her that uh, that's obsolete now. Okay, so I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Okay, Riggs, I hear you. It's 6,000 people. There's problems in India. Riggs, I live in America. Regionally, it doesn't really affect me. Hit me with it. Go to the website, ewg.org, that's the Environmental Working Group, slash tap water, and put in your zip code. Find out what your water is, what's in your water, and you will be astonished. What you'll find is that your water is fully compliant with federal law. I mean, our municipal water district managers are not doing a bad job, but the standards are so far out of date that you know, your levels of arsenic, uh, uranium, you name it, are much higher than science has told us they need to be. So the law is way behind the science. And you should not drink tap water long term. Now, that's not a problem for you and me. We go ahead and we, we, build, we buy a system, it's done. But many, many people can't afford their own water system, right? Uh, plus, I'll tell you who is really vulnerable to tap water is our pets. Our pets drink the tap water, and there's a lot of hormones in that tap water, and then they suffer. So they, it's not okay to have drugs, hormones, uh, toxins in the, in the tap water. Uh, it's not okay for, to have what's called glyphosate, which is the Roundup. Um, <clears throat> you know, I went ahead and invested in a shower head that, that filters out the glyphosate. Who does that? Nobody, right? So you take it for granted, you can just shower in the water. Well, your body absorbs X amount of gallons of water in the process of showering. It's like a quart or whatever it is. I forget what it is. But the point is, is your skin absorbs that stuff and it's got, usually this is tap water that you're using. So what I'm saying is this affects us right at home. Secondly, if we look at um, a lot of, there's 26 million septic tanks in America and their number is growing. Why? Because Americans are moving to the country and they're putting in septic tanks. Those things, a uh, great percentage of those leak, leak into the groundwater. Uh, something like uh, 100,000 viral diseases and a couple hundred thousand bacterial diseases in America come from the septic um, you know, infiltration into our water systems. So there's a number of things. Let's take California. California um, is so virtuous, right? But do you know that in California, the, uh, the oil producers in Kern County, which is the highest producing oil county in America, even ahead of Texas, they're allowed to dump their produced water into the ground untreated. And when, um, and we were personally involved with this a few years ago, we were trying to help with that. And we were making headway. Why? Because a, a, a 
an NGO had sued and won a, a judgment that said that the co-op is called Valley Water that serve, that does all the water treatment, quote unquote, water treatment for the 55 oil producers in Kern County, that Valley Water had to clean up its act. And it was a disaster. They brought us in to do it, something about it. But then soon after that, Jerry Brown, the, the, the environmental governor, with a stroke of his pen, wavered the entire oil industry and said, no, you can keep on doing what you're doing. The result of this is that every single aquifer in California is polluted with hydrocarbons. It's just how it is, right? So we have, the more you dig, the more you'll find that there are really not good problems. And that's true of most industries, but water affects us deeply. We are made up of water and it's essential that we do something about it. Fortunately, there's a solution. So Riggs, help me with this too. Okay, so for all of you who just were listening to that, number one, all of you go out and get a shower head that is going to uh, filter out. Okay, so we're going to put a link. We're, we're going to put a link in the bio today. We're going to do that. The other one is I'm going to Riggs. I'm going to have you send me the that that link as far as being able to check your zip code. We're going to put that also because we want to have these things to be able to do. The challenge that I have with you, man, you're telling me that I got to have some bottled water for my dog, dude. Like, I, I drink Carlsbad water, which I think is the greatest wise gypsy water. I don't know what's in it, but it tastes real good, Riggs. And if you live in Carlsbad, California, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the greatest water in the world. Am, am I safe? Am I safe with my Carl? Don't tell me my, don't, don't poo-poo on, on my Carlsbad water. Where am I at, Riggs? Am I good? Hey, listen, I could put your zip code in right now while we're talking. I could tell you what it is. But, but I, don't, I don't want to depress you too much. See, here's the story. No, don't give your dog bottled water. Bottled water sucks. What, what we did in our home was very simple. Um, we put in the full dress thing in our, under our sink, which is reverse osmosis, carbon filters, remineralizer, the whole trip. This is ultra pure water for drinking at our, our kitchen sink. Okay. For the whole condo, we put in a 0.2 micron filtering system. It's pretty decent. It doesn't. It takes out a bunch of stuff, and that your 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 dog can drink that. It's fine. Or 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 give your dog the under sink stuff that's ultra pure. Fine. And then we put in, as I said, those those shower heads for uh, getting taking out the Roundup, which okay. my doctor. I've got a very good holistic doctor. I said you got to get this. So I don't know. In 20 years, it'll make a difference, I guess. But um, that's the thing, I think, Kelly, is that people don't see an immediate problem that doesn't kill me today. Yeah. So I got much bigger problems. I got the cost of gasoline. I got da 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 da. Yeah. You know. Um, so people don't worry about it so much. But it's relatively simple to do if you have the money. If you don't have the money, that's that's where the problem comes in. And have you noticed that uh, a lot of the water disasters have occurred in low-income areas, Flint, yes. Jackson, Compton? Why? It's because the water that gets to these communities goes through hops. It goes through resellers. It goes origin, later, 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 later. It gets more expensive, and it gets lower quality. And so it's weird, but the lower-income uh, neighborhoods actually have the biggest problems and they'll be they're at least served. And I think in today's America, that is a scandal. He's a great interviewer because he is one cool dude. As you could tell, you, you know why he's in the top 1% of all podcasts. He just, he's so engaging. And we got into some very, very personal, deep stuff. And I'll just feed it to you little by little each week. It's going to be a lot of fun. With that, I want to welcome Mr. Ken Berenger. <laughs> so obviously the big story we can't talk about, which is this whole SPAC thing, what we said, what we allowed to say, and that's it. And uh, what can I say? But um, what was interesting about this is, is I was watching in a, you know, in a fresh opportunity to watch the, the shows tonight. And what, what really uh, strikes home is that the whole idea of, of businesses taking responsibility for their water treatment is a reality. It is happening. And there's real reasons for it. It is a real trend. And that, I, you know, as you remember, um, well, you don't remember, but you you know that back in 2016, I was like a voice in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Right. By the time you came water, what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
2018, he came along and still was like, yeah, whatever. There was Dan Early came in and he was a veteran. Now people get it. Right. It's gratifying. Uh, truthfully, also, I think cryptocurrency actually created a, a massive amount of education about what decentralization actually is. Don't talk to me about crypto. I know. I, listen. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I had to, so I bought, I, bought a, I bought a couple of those condos and I had to give them all my accounts. To, and I looked at them. And I went, oh, my God. I was yeah. just like, I hadn't even looked. And I was just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, um, so the decentralization now is what mainstream America does understand to a large extent. I still believe and when I when I talk to investors and say, look, this is going to this this has a this has a uh, a royalty bearing utility private utility feel to it, but the way it rolls out globally, uh, what what cell phones did was they made them accessible and affordable to everyone by packaging the equipment cost inside the monthly bill, right? So um, thirty years ago, five percent of us had cell phones. Because they were just too damn expensive, right? If I told you 30 years ago that a 16-year-old girl living in Morocco was going to have an iPhone, $1,000 iPhone in her pocket, you would have thought it was absolutely ludicrous, yet here we are. Um, so our rollout of what we're doing will really feel like the cell phone revolution. Because it, we, what are we doing? We're, 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 being, we're, we're creating hubs that'll you know, handle these things in, in you know, local, local areas. Um, and then you're connecting it through something that also didn't exist back then, which is fintech, right? But um, and and you're making every, so so again going back to the cell phone, it's a thousand dollar phone, but all I know is I'm paying the hundred fifty dollar bill, right? So I don't care. It's that opex thing, right? Now a hundred of it, a hundred of it is the phone, but I don't care, right? So that's what you know. That's how we're getting this with water on demand. Um, it's it's really just it's making it accessible. And affordable to everyone, um, and and I would and I and I say this to people: the difference between this and cell phones is is the water industry by size is is I would say what an order of mag I mean just a multiple is much much larger, and and provably more more vital to human health. Yes, and uh, you know I want to quickly address some of what's coming up in comments. Our uh, our our major supporter Jan Janet Wilkerman has a couple points to make. Uh, have you thought about helping the wine industry as they are considered non-essential agriculture that needs large amounts of water? And the answer is that we, we, we have our fingers in the beverage industry, which is actually very good for this water on demand thing. Primarily we're dealing with breweries right now, but we're, wine's on the table too. Uh, fast tracked wastewater project, urgent quote requests are three year projects. You can do this much quicker. You know, Janet, you're absolutely right. There's, there's two issues here. The first one is we can speed up the how fast things are done, but they still have to be built, just like building a house. Mm -hmm. But here's where we're scaling. We're operating at the level of water demand, and we want to create a network of water on demand correspondence, shall we say, of centers of financing in Dubai, in Singapore, in Tokyo, et cetera, that then do the water as a service stuff for their local area with their local investors. And we think that's where the power of the network is. Now, yes, stuff gets built below that, but it happens when it happens. You saw, you know, the, 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 the pipe bending stuff that goes on. It's, it is what it is, right? It's mechanical, electrical, and plumbing type engineering, um, MEP. And uh, that's how it works. So uh, the point I'm making is that we're going to make a revolution, I believe, by operating at the fintech level and creating a fintech network. Moving at the speed of fintech, not at the speed of water. I like that. We're going to wrap up. What I would say is go to oc.go slash Ken. Um, just click on my calendar through this journey with us. Um, we could be at a major, major pivot point. And um, I, I can spend some time with you, at least giving you the general idea of what we're doing. I think you'll be really, really excited and happy about the direction that we're now able to take this. In fact, Gene Tully says, clever, keep that man around. So mm. <laughs> I <laughs> Thank get you. coffee too. I, I get coffee and everything. Okay. Yeah, you get coffee. You get coffee. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it was a good little show. Thank you very much, everyone. It was a great pleasure. I hope to be able to tell you more about uh, this uh, mystery 
thing of ours that's going on um, in coming weeks. We'll just can't say more than that, but it, we're having a fun time. This is, this is a good time to be in water. Thank you all. Thank you, Ken. You're and very welcome. Have a great evening. Tom Liako says thank you. And thank you, sir. Have a great night and a great Hi, weekend. Jack.